Starting Relativity five years ago is a pretty, pretty big adventure. So we wanted to be the first company in the world to 3D print an entire rocket. And I really felt this was inevitable. You know, it's just myself and, and Jordan Noon. Uh, you know, I was 25, I think he was 22. So we were getting, a, getting an early start at building this thing. This is Tim Ellis, the co-founder of Relativity Space, an aerospace manufacturing company that 3D prints rockets and send them to space. Before we start, if it is the first time you hear this podcast, my name is Nir, and I'm the founder of The Artian, a creative consulting and training company that applies an art mindset in business environments. Why? Because art has a transformative power to shift mindset and develop skills. And I'm talking business skills. If you want to know more, check our website, www.thartian.com. For episode 16 of our second season with the artist Richelle Gribel, I interviewed Tim. Richelle and Tim are life partners. Their marriage ring carries a word they often use, wonder. Wonder in art, wonder in space. The conversation, as you will hear in a second, was enjoyable, at least for me. I'm confident you will feel the same. Tim, a visionary young man, is on a mission to put humans on Mars. But before he was looking up to the stars, he had a previous dream, to become a writer. So how do these two dreams come together? Why is art important? And how is Richelle's work influencing him as entrepreneur? Well, join us on this bonus episode of the Artian Podcast. We are being told to choose between the left and right brain, between studying art and engineering, between creative and analytical thinking, our society tells us that art and business are not connected. But what if society is wrong? What if it misleading us? The good news is that understanding what art is can bring us to a new revelation. Art does matter in innovation, technology, and entrepreneurship. And with the help of this podcast and its guests, you as well will learn that art is not an object. Art is a mindset. You are listening to the Artian Podcast with me, Nir Hindi. Hey Tim, welcome to the Artian Podcast. Hi, good to see you near and glad glad to be on. Tim, can you introduce yourself quickly? Yeah, of course. So I'm Tim Ellis. I'm the CEO and co-founder of Relativity Space. I founded the company five years ago to 3D print rockets. So we're building the world's largest metal 3D printers, um, as well as a whole factory that's really a new tech stack for aerospace. And then we're, we're building rockets to launch satellites to orbit. And we're, our long-term vision is to build the future of humanity on Mars. So um, we're only the second company in two decades that want to go to Mars and make humanity multiplanetary. That, that's a long-term vision. And I think 3D printing is inevitable tech uh, for building humanity's future on Mars. And you know, I think in, in many ways, that's a big art project. Uh, in some sense too. So really Amazing. glad to talk with you about uh, the intersection of art and science. Great. So probably people asking themselves, wow, I mean, everything you just said, so much technology, engineering and space, how the art comes in. How are you relate to art? Yeah. So I think in in many ways. So I actually, backing up, so I'm married to an artist, uh, Rochelle Gribble, uh, Rochelle Ellis now. So I'm married to her and we've been together for almost eight years. Uh, so we actually met when we were both giving TEDx talks at USC. So we went to college together and she was giving a talk on art and connectivity and how the intersection of technology, the environment, 
um, and social networks were really reflected in her art. I was giving a TEDx talk on going to Mars and why this is important for humanity. It's, it's funny, in, in many ways, um, even though I'm an engineering background, even backing up further uh, in high school, I actually um, thought I was going to be a screenwriter. So I had two drafts of novels. They were like, I loved Fight Club and American Psycho. It was like very <laughs> kind of tra- transgressive fiction that I loved to write. Um, and like Donnie Darko, you know, movies like that. So I actually went to USC originally thinking I was going to graduate and be a screenwriter. And then I switched to aerospace engineering during orientation. So I think art's always been in my DNA and, and blood. But, you know, I was never a tr- true artist or gir- like it was clear, I guess I wasn't going to be great. Uh, so when I met Rochelle, I mean, I was just enamored, of course, both, both by her as a person. And, you know, I love her a ton, but also I, I just was blown away at the art she made. And I think saw in her some of that creative genius that always wanted to have myself. And then I think I found my own creative genius and building companies. And I think engineering is just creativity with physics. Um, And you have to be really creative to build a product no one's ever built before and a whole sector that no one's ever built before. And so I think people really underappreciate the creativity and the vision and storytelling and how you actually like stir people's soul to, to want to see this thing exist, actually build something from nothing. And I think it's a lot of that creative genius and soul that you find in artists as well. Yeah. So, you know, it's very interesting because you just mentioned uh, Richelle and that's the question that now I have for you because Richelle deals a lot with space when you have a company that works in space. And I wonder how her work actually influenced your perception of space? Well, I think first it's, it's super interesting because we've, we've talked a lot about it. So Rochelle has done her journey in space like in a pretty different world than me, actually. So she's really struck off on her own. I mean, she started her journey, uh, you know, right after out of college doing many, many art residencies. So she would, uh, as, as the nomadic artist, travel around to all sorts of different places like Wyoming and the, ultimately, you know, the North Pole, Japan, uh, Planet Labs putting art on satellites. So I think it was really the Planet Labs experience working with Forrest, who you mentioned you had on your show before, and putting art on satellites. E- even that wasn't kicking off space for her as I, I saw it as much as then, you know, she really got plugged into a guy, Frank White, who coined the overview effect. And I think it was a natural progression of her work. Like it was really around seeing how she was dealing a ton with art, technology, social networks, and then the environment. And I think the more she pulled the thread and and really saw like that art and tech and the environment, like the environment was the big thing. And it was clear that we were harming the planet and not really finding ways to be sustainable. That I think that drove her to space because it was really like, space is the ultimate overview effect that really puts the planet into context and perspective. And for me, I mean, just watching that journey has been really inspiring because in many ways, I think for, for my work at Relativity Space, you know, not only are we building a company, but we're also building towards this mission of putting humanity on Mars. And I think like the reason that's important to me is it's about expanding the possibilities for human experience. And if we were having this conversation and you know, people were having coffee or wherever in the morning around the world, and there were a million people living on another planet, 
I think it would actually redefine what it means to be a human being. Like, I just think there's new emotions and new stories and we'd have long distance love stories from here to Mars and like pen pal relationships with people literally living on another planet and exposed to a completely different set of cultural norms. And just like, I think like the evolution of humanity's vision and, and what's possible um, really has just expanded a lot by, by that goal. So, and as I mentioned earlier, in many ways, I think going to Mars uh, for me is actually one of the greatest art projects of human civilization. And that's not to trivialize it either. I think art is, it just gets to what it means to be human. Like, what are we actually living and dying and building and breathing generation after generation? Like, what is it all about? And I think art is physical manifestation of that questioning um, and, and of that drive and of that playing around with, you know, different kind of tensions and societal contexts and wonder and awe and like what is evolving in front of us. And so I do think going to Mars in many ways is an expansion of that landscape and will, will actually help us create new art and new experiences. Interesting. I like it. Art is the physical manifestation of these ideas. Um, that's often kind of relate to what I say that, you know, the painting that you see is not, it's just the end result of the thinking process. I'm interested to understand because you are partners in life and you're probably discussing space quite often. What did you discover from seeing Richelle's work about your perception or things that you didn't think about? And through her work, actually, you got a different perspective, new, I don't know if revelation, but a new way. Yeah, I think it's been from the beginning. We, we've had the pleasure to, so at Relativity, even in our you know main company lobby around our office, we actually have art that we've displayed from the beginning. And a lot of it is uh, from Rochelle. So of course, our, our whole team, when they're working on designing rockets and rocket engines and 3D printers and all these products we're building, uh, you know, you find yourself kind of daydreaming and staring off and looking at art. And I think yeah, specifically with her practice and evolution, I love how it merges kind of the science and technology together with the environment. Like for, for me, it just contextualizes the why I'm doing this and why it actually matters. Because despite engineering being extremely creative, I think in many ways art to, to some extent in and of itself, it's even more of a pure expression of just the message that, that matters. Like our rocket engines still have a function. There's still like something it's doing. It's mechanical, it's mechanistic, uh, you know, it's a business, like we have to make money. But I think in, in her case, just seeing the message evolve and really asking the questions like, why go to space? Why save the environment? Like, why, why does that actually matter? And I think it just, yeah, it helps me answer a lot of questions around like, what is the vision of humanity? And I think at the core of it for me, when, when I see her work, that's like the question that we're both trying to ask. It's like, what is this actually all about? And how do we guide the future of humanity in a direction that's actually sustainable and gonna create a better future than the one we're inheriting? Because I think we do live in a time where that is not a certainty. And that's not been true of all of human history in the past. So tens of thousands of years, it's almost always been the case that the future is better than the past. And I think we're now running up against limits of that because you know we are actually saturating the planet's resources for the first time ever. And so I think like really we have to evolve in this new skill set 
of collective self-discipline. And I think that's going to be really hard for people to do uh, <laughs> is get collect collective self-discipline because people yeah. think pretty individually. And so, and it's like hardwired in our brain to think that way. And, and, you know, other than maybe Eastern cultures over in Asia, which I think a little bit more collective, although I don't pretend to understand that deeply, but yeah, like collective self-discipline is hard. And I think a big part of it is just getting people to understand the message that th this is a limited planet and that we need to find ways to actually inspire more people to be responsible. Yeah, I see more and more kind of collaborations between scientists and artists kind of to try to tackle the climate crisis. How we can actually communicate this idea? Because everyone knows, at least the majority knows, that um, there is a climate crisis and the question is why we don't do something about it. Yeah. So, you know, you mentioned kind of that the questions that uh, Richelle raising, and it's kind of in line with things that I often uh, see among artists that they lead with questions. And I wonder if from those interactions, you came up with new questions that you will be interested to uh, solve. Yeah, I have thought a lot about it. I mean, think first off, just as you're asking that. So where me and Richelle interact as well as she's actually much more of a scientist artist and not having the formal background of science, but I don't have a formal background in art either. So I think, you know, we've always thought of our relationship as this Venn diagram of science plus art equals wonder. And so science is on the left, art's <laughs> on the right, and then the middle is wonder. So I think that that's the intersection that I see because science does a really great job putting structure to the world around us. And, you know, there, there are mathematical answers to many things. And I think, personally, I think that's really cool because you start to look at the world around you and you can understand that no matter how hard of a problem, there's a way to start tackling it and start to put a framework to, to like figuring out how something works. Um, it doesn't mean we'll always have the answers because there's some really hard problems out there, but we can at least pay, take a stab at it and start to put a data and structure around it. But then art really does in a very different way. I mean, I think that's trying to ask questions. I think questions are good at probing kind of the human soul. <laughs> it's really more asking questions that don't necessarily have concrete or data-driven answers. And so I think science does a good job at putting structure to chaos. And then art does a good job at getting clarity where there's no right answer. Um, and then the intersection of those I think is what creates wonder. It's this kind of mix of understand, like realizing you actually came to the limit of what science can answer. And there's actually more beyond that. And I think that's just pretty mystifying slash exciting for humans because you, you feel you're on the edge of, of like discovering something new. And I think that's what a lot of being human is all about. I love it. <laughs> you know, she told me a very nice story that you actually, you two thought about opening an art and science gallery that yeah, actually yeah. had the first name Relativity. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. So that's actually the story. That's the real story of how Relativity came about. Um, so I was working for uh, Jeff Bezos, who founded Amazon, um, his company Blue Origin up in Seattle. Uh, we, we were you know, Rochelle was off doing, like, I think, like a dozen different residencies. Um, so she was really the nomadic artist at the time. We were doing long distance officially in our relationship after college. So she'd come to visit Seattle. And we just, yeah, like kind of got ignited with this idea of art plus science. And it was definitely driven by our relationship. And then 
realizing this was a big idea that we felt had to be shared. And so, yeah, we almost signed a lease actually to start this art science gallery. We, we wrote the business plan. It's in a binder. I, I still have it. And it was a Venn diagram. It was the art plus science equals wonder. And it was going to be called relativity gallery. I, I basically calculated how I can lose a bunch of money on that and you actually save in taxes. <laughs> so it was like, it was going to be very painful financially. And it was probably on hindsight, not the world's greatest business idea perhaps, but I'm glad I started relativity space. I guess we'll say it that way. Yeah, we, we were going to do this and it was pretty exciting, but I think that's actually, fr frankly, even though it didn't happen um, yet. In, in my, didn't happen my, yet. not yet. I, yes, will, not I will yet. keep my hope. Yes, yes. <laughs> oh, we, we, we will do it for sure. And, and Rochelle kind of has like, in some ways she now started a art science gallery um, called Super Collider and she, she's involved in other kind of projects like Beyond Earth and different collectives. And yeah, I would say like she is, you know, still continuing that thread. But um, that gave me the entrepreneurship bug was realizing, hey, actually writing this business plan and finding a lease and thinking about strategy and branding and like how we could do events and what would be, you know, cool to do. Like, I think that really stirred that kind of passion for entrepreneurship in me and then ultimately resulted in realizing, hey, I, I actually, you know, love my job, but maybe I want to start a company and try this thing out. Great. And I wonder, you just mentioned entrepreneurship. Do you see similarities between the way you work as an entrepreneur to the way Richelle work as an artist? A hundred percent. And we, yeah, it, it's like, no question. Give me two examples. Yeah, because, yeah. So I think in many ways, like, and specifically, you know, founder entrepreneurs, I think, um, you know, I've found there's a very big difference between being a founder and even being a first employee, I would say. Like, I do think being a founder, it's a pretty raw spot. Like you gotta, you gotta put your soul on a pedestal and get people to believe in it. You have to hire, you know, people to join your team. You have to get investors, you have to get customers and you will get rejected so many times. It's not even funny. Um, and so you got to be very resilient. I think art is an entrepreneurial career and actually getting collectors and especially, you know, if you really want to make decent money as an artist and a living, like it's really hard, like, cause you, you know, have gallery representation and, you know, they take a pretty big percent of the, the sales, but they help with, you know, finding clients and et cetera. And that, that's a similar process. When I talk with Rochelle about it, it feels similar to getting venture capital investors to believe in you and to sponsor you and buy into what you're doing. In many ways, you're like your own CEO because you do need to think about, you know, how much does it cost to make a painting? Like, what is your brand? What is your story? Marketing, like selling the, the dream and the vision as an artist. I think there are tons of parallels in many, many different situations. And as I've seen it, you know, artists all have very different kind of goals. I don't think everyone desires to be like a, you know, Alex Israel, like some super commercially successful artist, but I definitely have seen, been able to meet like Alex Israel and people, people like that, that are big in the art community um, on the commercial side. And it's definitely clear. They're very good at business. <laughs> like they're very good at understanding brands and that kind of thing. But I think on the more like, yeah, just kind of building great work side. I think even that you need to access this very kind of self-reflective, self-aware, you know, visionary space and put yourself out there and, 
not be afraid of getting critique and then improving and learning from it. And I think that open-mindedness and resilience to sometimes getting negative feedback, but like going and improving is a big part of entrepreneurship as well as art. Yeah, totally. I guess, you know, I'm not sure, but I will, put, I will mention this anecdote. You participated in Y Combinator Accelerator yeah. program. Yep. Uh-huh. And Paul Graham actually studied painting and even wrote a book, Hackers and Painters. Even though he's very famous for um, the entrepreneurship and technology part, he has great, excellent uh, articles on his blog speaking about art. And at least the story goes that uh, when he was young, he used to kind of uh, work for a startup, quit, go to paint, and he studied painting in the Academia de Bellas Artes in Venice and then in Rhode Island School of Design. So yeah, another uh, anecdote. Yeah, another anecdote. I didn't, yeah, I didn't realize that. And, and Paul Graham, extremely, extremely observant. Um, I think he's one of the best writers in the entire startup community. I mean, just his style of writing and how insightful he is. Almost every sentence is a poem. It's yeah, like, totally. Very, very uh, truth, like getting at the core truth of the truth of things. So yeah, I think that's su- super fascinating to know that he's, he's into art. And to your point, I think there's a lot more intersections than people realize. So wait, I want to ask you over here. So why there is such a separation between art and the world of business? For years, the business world looked down upon artists. You know, this... Image of yeah. the crazy artists that, you know, they are lazy, they, you know, they don't know yeah. what they want and which artists are extremely the opposite. They are super committed. They are hard workers. Yeah. H- help me over here. Great, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's a great question. I don't, I don't know. I have the cl- clearest answer on it. I think it just comes down to what are society, like what are the incentives from society and kind of how do we reward things? And I think, for better or worse, I do think there's some collateral damage in it. We're just becoming even more capitalistic as a world, right? Like I think money kind of makes the world go around and especially in business and startups, like like the, the overall transformation of the global economy by technology is creating some of the biggest kind of success stories ever, really, especially over the last decade. So you get disruption and payment with Stripe and Bitcoin and Coinbase. And I mean, there's just tons of companies developed that are super disruptive. And I think there's just so much focus on making money and that's like the currency of value. But I think that's very short-sighted. Like I do agree that that's very short-sighted because I think, you know, our artists and it's almost like how we view the environment, I guess. Like I, I kind of liken it to that, like, National parks and the environment and our oceans are absolutely gorgeous. You could, in many ways, almost view them as natural works of art that we are ruining for unfettered growth as a society. And so I think that's where it gets to the collective self-discipline. Are we capable of, as a species of actually valuing things that are not just uh, kind of raw progress forward at all costs? Um, and I would like to believe, and I know me and Rochelle talk a lot about this, I would like to believe there is a world where we can actually make it better each successive generation for the next you know, thousands of years without having to compromise. I guess it's like a way of answering your question is it feels like other things that you know, make huge businesses or entrepreneurship, like that's so sexy and so in vogue right now. And there's like idolization of people that have built these great enterprises. But I think 
we could potentially see it in the future. Like as art is, you know, really having a big impact, like it's more about the impact. And I think we need to switch from a society that just cares about dollars to one that cares about impact and actually leadership and leading the human species forward. And first of all, that's what you are doing with your company. So we already yeah, have yeah, at least trying, two, at, yeah. at least one person <laughs> doing. I have kind of more questions, and I know we are short on time. I'm interested, how do you foster creativity in your own company now that you have 400 employees? How do you foster a, a experimentation, inventiveness that often, for me, goes hands in hands with art? Yeah, yeah, that's a, that's a great question. I think... So it's harder and harder to do at scale. So, so to be clear, we're 400 people now. We're only 120 people at the beginning of COVID. So the last year and a half, we've tripled, wow. more than tripled. So it's, it's been a, a huge wild jump. ride. Yeah, and even a year before that, I think we were only 40 people. And then a year before that, we were 14. So three years ago, we were 14 people. So it's been a wild ride, like lots of fast growth. And I think when you're growing at that speed, the the best way to get creativity starts with who you let in the door. So like who you hire. So we're very, very careful about being sure we're hiring people that have high like EQ as well as are brilliant. So we care a lot about people um, that come in with creativity, empathy, they care about people, but they're wicked smart and they have very high kind of growth mindset and like want to learn new things and learn new things very fast. So I think in many ways, like I set the tone for that and what we're looking for. But then even then, once you have the people, I think to do it, you you have to kind of remove. so, So there's a few ways I found to get creativity. Like the first is you need to actually empower people to make decisions and be able to fail. Like you can't make all the decisions for for your team and for your employees. Otherwise they won't actually see the ramifications of what you know new creative thing they're trying to do and not work. And the other is you really want to reward people, like not punish people when they try some crazy idea um, that doesn't work. You, you actually want to reward that, even though it hurts and it's hard for the company and maybe slows you down temporarily, you have to be very conscious that you're rewarding that behavior. Because the second you start punishing it and saying you care about creativity, but then you get mad at people for being creative and failing, <laughs> like it, it very quickly stops working. Um, yeah. And I've found too, you, you can do it right 20 times and then one time do it wrong. And no one remembers the 19 you did it right. They only remember the one you did it wrong. So it is a high bar leadership to be consistent and to never really slip on that and so I think you know that's kind of how I encourage it Um, and then you know otherwise I just really 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 push people to think audaciously and to ask you know what is actually possible and always question the boundary of what's possible like we have done things like build a brand new rocket engine that's all 3d printed and then put it on the test stand and and fired it for a full duration test in five days later to be clear that would normally take in a normal rocket company like eight months or nine months and we did it in five days it was super risky like the odds of us blowing up the engine were probably very very high but i trust that it's not just a wild gamble though there's smarts behind it like the thinking there is that you actually have a really smart team. And especially in our industry with rockets and aerospace engineers, people are really conservative, but they're also very talented. So I think a lot of people over-index and worry about taking risk 
um, when the truth is that they probably engineered it right from the beginning. And if we actually take big swings, making things go faster, more than likely it will actually work. Um, so this is if, if you follow SpaceX, you'd see them blowing up Starship left and right. And, you know, it looks like failure after failure after failure. But man, they're learning fast. Um, and it, I think I found in startups is all about rate of learning. Um, and there's interesting studies, like the, the best one I found, which is really interesting, which is in the art world, and I'm finding is exactly true in the engineering world, is there was a, a psychology study that broke two groups of people making clay pots um, from an art class. And one direction to one group was make the highest quality pot possible that you can over like an hour. And then the direction to the other group was make as many pots as you possibly can per hour. And that's all they said. So one was volume of work. The other was quality. What was super interesting is the group that uh, was given the task of making as much as you possibly can, of course, made a lot more. And they were actually higher quality than the group that was just tasked with making high quality. So in many ways, I think that, that to me just says making a lot of things and pushing forward and learning from your, your mistakes or just volume of work actually makes you better faster because you learn faster. And I found that that's true in engineering as well. Yeah, I love it. I love it. Uh, and we will put the link to the research study. I will ask it from you yeah, and yeah, I will yeah, put yeah, it yeah, in yeah, the yeah. show notes. Um, it goes hands in hands with the ideation. You know, one of the things that uh, I speak about is practicing ideation muscle. I mean, often in corporate, you see that once a year, they do two hours ideation workshop. And they think that from these two hours, employees supposed to be original. Now, the thing is that when you look at artists and scientists and inventor, you see that there is a direct relation and correlation with the quantity. The more you produce, the better it's become. So yeah. how we can actually integrate it into the day-to-day -day of the company coming up with more and more ideas. I love this example. We are getting into the end of the podcast. Uh, honestly, I, I feel that we can continue to talk yeah, for yeah. another it's one hour. It's, yeah, um, it's, it's yeah. an awesome topic. And it's one, yeah, I haven't gotten to talk, talk as much about. So you're, yeah, you're, you're one of the first, which is fantastic. And yeah, I'd, I'd love to do it more because I think it's actually the driving reason really behind me wanting to start a company. Like I, I view it for, for me, it's like a huge art project. And then of course, Rochelle and her work and a career trajectory. And now she, you know, wants to be an astronaut and that's like, yeah, she the, told the, me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So she, she's like off doing like pretty amazing things and it's inspiring. And I think, yeah, I feel lucky to have a partner that, yeah, yeah we kind of each push each other in or uh, on an adventure, but it's not competitive. And, you know, of course, she's for forging her own path and working pretty independently from me on a day-to-day -day basis. But then we come home and just get to share the day's adventures and learnings, which is fun. Great. And so you already have at least one artist in uh, your company, uh, Richelle. Um, are you planning to launch Space Relativity uh, artist in residence program? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's a good question. I, yeah, I'll, I'll think of something. I mean, yeah, R Rochelle and some of the Beyond Earth work that uh, the, the collective has done that's displayed in our company is a big one. I'm sure we'll have stuff cooking though because it, yeah, t to me it's, it is important to do and yeah, we've, I've been focused because we're growing like absolute crazy so I'm pretty, pretty busy on that stuff but yeah, no, I, I think it's important and I think 
we, we actually have a, a very visible global stage and you know a lot of people are interested in in the space uh, industry right now so i think it is a great place to actually have it be a visible platform for arts and yeah we're, we're seeing it from other artists and people being selected to like fly to space right now and you know, I know Rochelle's working to be an, an astronaut and then make art about the experience. So I think we're living in a cool time for sure. Yeah. So last question. If there is someone that's listening to us and say, you know, art, it's creativity. I'm not creative. It's not for me. What would you tell them? Yeah, I think, I mean, if they say art is not for them, I would definitely challenge that. It's like, do you not love film or movies or music because um, of course those are art, art forms too it's not just visual arts I think it's anything that really stirs your soul and is like something that yeah makes you feel alive and makes it feel worthwhile to be a, a, a human being so yeah I think at its core every human has a desire to connect with something more than just the the kind of like practical world uh, that's right in front of them and, and I think that's where art has a big big impact so I don't know I, I would I would argue no one truly doesn't care about art yeah and if you do maybe maybe <laughs> maybe you should uh, like yeah I don't know go on a vacation or something reconsider <laughs> great yeah. Tim Ellis co-founder and CEO of Relativity Space I really appreciate the time And for uh, yeah. joining us and sharing all this wonderful conversation. Thank you, Tim. All right. Awesome. Thanks, Nir, for having me on. Appreciate it. I hope you enjoyed the conversation with Tim. If you want to learn more about how art and tech, entrepreneurship or innovation intersect and influence each other, I will encourage you to go and check our previous shows, all available on your favorite platforms. Apple Podcast, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. So I hope to see you on future episodes of the Ardian Podcast with me, Nir Hindi. Once again, thanks for listening.